Good morning, Family Church. Would you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5? We finished Ephesians 4 and continuing through to the end of the book. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. It says this, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us, and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Would you pray with me one more time this morning? God, what a privilege it is to be able to be here in fellowship with one another, to be here in worship with one another that we've already experienced, that we can give back to you as the offering as we've already experienced. And God, as we're going into a time now of reading your word, what you wrote to us to bring about life change, to bring about glorifying you, Show us how to put away our sinful desires and to pursue righteousness. God, we thank you. We have your word. We cling to it. We love it. God, we pray that you may speak to us this morning. May your Holy Spirit open our eyes. We pray for those who are here who are followers of you. And they've given their lives to you that you may teach them and encourage them. We pray for those who may not be followers of Jesus Christ yet that you just may speak to them in such a way that's going to bring honor and glory to your name. God, we thank you for who you are. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Beginning in chapter 5, we start with the word, therefore. And as we've been teaching the past many months, when we come to that word, it's almost like starting a sentence with, because of that. You can't really know what that is until you go back and look at what that is. And so we see the word, therefore, And we need to backtrack a little bit back in Ephesians chapter 4 and look at what it's saying, therefore. So in verse 32 of Ephesians chapter 4, we can pick up a little bit, even though it's talking about everything you've read in the book of Ephesians up to this point. But we'll just start with verse 32 of chapter 4. It says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And then it goes in and says, therefore, because of that, because God in Christ has forgiven us, we should therefore imitate him. And so it's directly tied, directly linked with God's love and forgiveness for us. That should be our motivating factor to what to imitate God. We see this in the life of children. And scripture goes on, it says, how should we be imitators of God? Well, the rest of this verse says, as beloved children. As beloved children, we should be imitators of God. Point number one is Christians are imitators of God. How are we supposed to imitate God? We don't see him. He's not right beside us. So how do we imitate him? How are we called to be like him? Well, the New Testament describes Jesus Christ as the expressed image of God. And so I want to share a couple of passages with you. If you're taking notes, write down 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. And I just want to highlight a couple of things that 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says. It says, the glory of Christ is the image of God. And then later it says, Jesus Christ is Lord. Then it says, the glory of God shines in the face of Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20 says, He, being Jesus Christ, is the image of the invisible God. 
So scripture saying Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God. The God we can't see, when we look at Jesus Christ, we see God. Later in that passage, it says this. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were made. All things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Genesis chapter 1, we see in the beginning, God created. Colossians and other places like John tells us, in the beginning was Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ, it says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn. For by him all things were created, and in him all things are sustained. And so this is why we believe in the doctrine of the Trinity. Meaning that the person of Jesus Christ is equal to God the Father in every way. Verse 19 of Colossians 1 says, For in him, in Jesus Christ, all of the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. That means when you look at the picture of Jesus Christ and we're reading about Jesus Christ, there is not one aspect of God that is not comfortable being shown in the person of Jesus Christ. It's not like Jesus Christ was only partly God. He was fully God. And there are a lot of Christians, I say Christians, because they will look at Jesus Christ and they say, well, he is part God, but not fully God. That's not what scripture teaches. And there are a lot of religions that say he was a great guy or that he was a prophet. Some say that he was the um, brother of Satan, but they don't establish him as God. Scripture very clearly says he is the fullness of God. So it's very important that we see that. Scripture goes on to describe how we are to imitate him. Look in the rest of verse number one. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. This doesn't mean like we have a childlike faith, that we just believe in God as a child believes. No, it means that we actually want to pursue God as a child may want to pursue being like their father. You know, when a child really loves their dad, they may say something like, Daddy, I want to be just like you when I grow up. Or a daughter may say that to their mom. Mom, I want to be just like you when I grow up. Now listen, if our children can look to us at all that way, right? As flawed as we are, when we have outbursts of anger and we let them down and we do things and we say things inappropriately, if they can look up to us and say, I want to be just like you when I grow up, how much more so with God as our Heavenly Father should we be able to say that to Him? That's what it means to be a Christian. I want to be just like you in this life. That's what it means to be Christian. Little Christians, little Christ. And so it says, be imitators of God, and then it describes it, as a beloved child would want to be with their father. He's perfect in every way, creator of all things. And then verse number two, it says for us, how are we to do that? As we're imitating him as a beloved child, it, it goes on and says, walk in love. This means that we have a continual lifestyle. To walk in something means a continual lifestyle of walking in love. And scripture shows us what that is. This goes to point number two. Christians' lives are characterized by love. And we're going to see what type of love that is shortly. Verse two, walk in love. How? As Christ loved us. And how did Christ love us? It's in verse 2 there. He gave himself up for you. That's how he loved you. He gave himself up for you. A fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Point number 3. Christ's love was self-sacrificial. We see here, he gave himself. He didn't have to. 
He did it out of obedience to God the Father and his love for wanting to imitate him. He gave himself up for you. When there was nothing good in you, except hatred for God and love for yourself, Jesus Christ decided that he was going to give himself for you. He was going to die, take the wrath you deserved, and instead he took it upon himself. Jesus' love was self-sacrificial. Last week, Terry preached, and he preached through a verse that says, Let the thief no longer steal, but to what? Anybody remember? Okay, work, right? Good job, Terry. I'm glad you were listening. So, let the thief no longer... I heard two people, and it was Luke. So we got to talk louder, okay? Let the thief no longer steal, which is selfishness, right? The thief is stealing for himself. Let the thief no longer steal. And it didn't just say stop stealing. Christianity is not about stopping doing things. It says, let the thief no longer steal, but go get a job. And did it end there? Did it stop there? What else does it say? Give back. So this is selfish. Stop stealing for yourself. Go get a job would still be selfish, right? Because you're working for yourself. Even though a lot of times we're like, hey, if a thief stopped stealing and now he has a good, honest paying job and putting in the hours then that's a good transition. But Scripture says, no, that's still self-centered. And then it says, let him him get a good job and let him get the job for the purpose of giving to others. That's what it means. In every instance where it talks about putting off a sin and putting on something else, it replaces it with something not about you. And we're going to see that all through here this morning. So how did Christ love people so sacrificially? Because we're called to do it. We're called to love people how he loved them. How can we... Do that. Well, before we get to that, we need to understand why I have a hard time loving others. My wife could tell you why, right? Your wife could tell you why. Why do we have a hard time loving other people sacrificially? Well, we're going to get into that. And it's point number four. We are naturally lovers of self. All of you love yourself a lot. More than you think you do. I love myself A lot more than I think I do. We're naturally lovers of self. We're born self-centered. Now, sometimes this sin is very obvious. Like when we snap at somebody because we want our way, or we have an outburst of anger, or we cut somebody off, or we say something inappropriately, or we lust, or we gossip. Those are obvious things that we know we shouldn't do that is our selfishness rising up within us. And we're going to look at some of those this morning, but there's a whole other side to this of Subtle sins, subtle things that are self-motivated that we're also going to look at that I think we struggle with more without even struggling with it. I mean, we fall into these subtle sins all the time. And we're going to look at some of those. Verses 3 through 21 go in to give us some practical examples that we're going to go through this morning. So look in verse 3. Now again, this was written to the church of Ephesus. They were struggling with these type of areas. A lot of the same areas that we struggle with today. So verse 3, But sexual immorality and all impurity, covetousness, must not even be named among you. Among you meaning the church, as is proper among saints. Point number five is as Christians, we should sacrifice our bodily desires. Christians sacrifice bodily desires. Now, The ones we can think of immediately, like Scripture claims here, is sexual immorality, impure thoughts and motives, impurity, covetousness, 
idolatry. I mean, those are things when we do them or we think on them or we see somebody else do them, we automatically know that's wrong. And those things scripture's te- teaching on. Why is it that we love some sexual sins or some things we think of or some lust? Why do we struggle with those things? Why does the world struggle with those things? It's because we love ourselves. It's not because I love that temptation. Listen, Christians, we can hate the things we struggle with, right? We hate those things, but we fall into them or we sometimes walk in them because we love ourselves. And there's this continual battle of flesh versus the spirit that we're in. And this works both ways. And the the obvious ones are what I just talked about is the, the thinking and the thought patterns and the actions. But what about the subtle ones? Instead of going out and pursuing for your own selfish desires, what about just having time for yourself? If you're married and you're like, no, I'm just having my me time right now. Is that any different? What about sleep? That's a natural desire. Jesus Christ went and he denied his natural desire not to want to be crucified, right? He gave that up and he said, I'm willing. I'm willing to do that. He rejected his bodily desires of safety and pursued self-sacrifice. He went from being selfish, which is a theme all through this message, selfish to selfless. That's what we're called to do as Christians, selfishness to selflessness. Example of this can be sleeping. have a great example that God has given us this week, um, which is not always great, but uh, our little boy Elias will go through sleeping patterns, sometimes great, and then reverts back to a horrible sleeping pattern where there is no pattern at all, just waking up all the time. And so I wake up in the middle of the night, it's like 2 a.m., and I open my eyes and I see my wife clearly upset, broken, just struggling with having to get up all the time. And me being the loving husband, I reach over and I grab her arm and I rub it a little bit. And I wish I could say at that moment I prayed for her, but I didn't. I said, honey, you should be thankful that God is allowing us to see how much sleep is an idol in your life. We should be, and I was just, I had been studying this, you know, reading how sometimes God gives us things that instead of like being upset about it, we should be thankful that God has revealed something in our heart. So in the middle of the night, I just wake up and I'm like, we should just thank God for giving us Elias, showing us how much we love sleep and that it's an idol. And then bam, I don't remember what happened. No, that didn't happen. Uh, she, she turned to me. I couldn't see her eyes because it was dark, but she said, sleep is a need. It's not an idol. But it's, it's a great example of, you know, how do you do when you don't have sleep? How do you do when you don't have coffee? How do you do when you, you're lacking something that is a, and I know some of these, like, sleep is really is a need, But that doesn't give us a reason to snap at somebody else when we don't have some of these things. That's self-focused. And so how do you do when you're lacking in something that you need? Coffee can be a great example. How do you do with that? Is it self-focused? Scripture says that we should go on to please others. So all of us have these desires that we struggle with. If you're single, 
Are you pursuing to fulfill yourself and your own desires? Or are you pursuing to die to self and honor Christ with your bodies? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 through 20 says this. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? And then it says, Christian, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. Because you were bought and you're not your own, it says, honor God, glorify God in your body. So Christians put off, they sacrifice their bodily desires. Let's go to verse number four. It says, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. So it says, stop talking badly. And some of the things we know is like foolish talk, filthiness, crude jokes, things we shouldn't be saying, words we shouldn't be saying. It says, put those things away and instead put on thanksgiving. It's not just about stopping bad language. It's about actually, instead of using bad language to glorify your selfish desires, use your language instead to encourage others. It's always selfishness to selflessness. Scripture is not about just stopping bad activity. It's actually about replacing it with God, honoring activity for the right reasons. So we've talked a little bit about the obvious talking issues, but what about some ones that are subtle? Some subtle talking issues. Here's a question for us. Are you, and don't answer this, because I'm going to go to a bad place next, okay? Don't answer it out loud. Are you a talker or are you a listener? Are you a talker or are you a listener? Because we've already seen crude talk and improper joking and all those things are clearly bad. But, and it's a love for self. But what about when you dominate a conversation? You know, you've been in those conversations. You've done that yourself. When you dominate a conversation, when I dominate a conversation, what I'm really saying to those in the room subconsciously is what I have to say is more important than what you have to say. Right? I would never say that out loud and I would never think that. But if we're in an hour conversation and I take up 45 minutes, I think what I have to talk about is more important than what you have to talk about. I want my ideas expressed rather than hearing your ideas. I want the credit versus you have the credit. Something to think about. See, that's, that's one of those subtle areas that we struggle with. We don't even see that's a love for self rather than a love for somebody else. What about how you listen? This is a really, you know, I started thinking about this. How do I listen to people? Do you listen out of obligation because it's politically correct? Or do you listen because you love them? Your next conversation, just... As they're talking, I don't know if you should do it as they're talking, but because I may not be listening to them. But I've, I've stopped and I'm like, am I really listening because I love this individual? Or am I just listening because they're talking to me and it seems like the right thing to do? This morning, are you listening because God has a word for you this morning from his word? Are you listening maybe out of obligation? Are you listening just out of a love for me that I've spent hours preparing this? Why do we listen to things? You know, that's something you need to be thinking about. We need to be listening with the right heart and the right attitude. How subtle some of these things are. We see the big ones, but how subtle some of the other things are where we dominate conversations or think our ideas are best ideas or my desires are more important than my spouse's desires or my neighbor's desires or my coworkers. About me. Even things as simple as, hey, where do we want to go to lunch? 
are you the one that's going to say, we're going to go to lunch this place? Those are things self-focused versus loving others. Let's continue in verse 5. Scripture kind of takes a break here and says, and just kind of steps back and shows us the severity of what we've just read. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, which is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not become partners with them, for at one time you walked in darkness, but now you are in the light. I want us to look at this, and I want us to break it down, because there's some past tense, present tense, and future tenses in this passage I want us to see. So let's start again in verse 5. For you may be sure of this. What is that telling us? We can be sure of this, okay? It's truth. It says that everyone who is, present tense, who is right now living this type of life, sexual immorality, impurity, or who is presently covetous, is an idolater, has no present tense right now. They have no inheritance in the kingdom of God. Then it says, let no one deceive you otherwise. Do not become partners with people like this. And then it goes and it's speaking to the Christians. For at one time you were, Christian, past tense. You were, you were in darkness. But now, present tense, you are in the light of the Lord. So what is scripture trying to show us here? Well, anyone who's claiming to be a Christian and you look at their life and they're walking in a pattern of clear sinfulness and they're not willing to repent of those things and call it sinfulness, Scripture says that those people, they're, they're, not, even, they're not even Christians. You can't call them Christians. You need to say, hey, listen, you're not acting like a Christian. I, I'm, I'm thinking you're not even a Christian. We're supposed to warn them out of a love. Now, what about all of us who say, man, I struggle with those things. I mean, don't all of us struggle with thoughts and things we think and slipping into sins and sometimes even walking into them intentionally? I mean, couldn't we say that's walking in sin? Understand there's a big difference between us walking into a sin and walking in sin continuously. I mean, I may stumble and mess up, but I'm repentful and I'm broken about it. And I'm wanting to turn away from that and pursue God. When you encounter somebody who calls himself a Christian, and they're just fine continuing to walk in this way, maybe they're living in some type of relationship. You know, there are Christians who, they say they're Christians, and they're living in open homosexual relationships, and they're like, you know, we're all just sinners. You know, Scripture says we can't be okay with that type of, or if they're in an open adultery relationship, and they're just calling it like, God's going to forgive me. Scripture says, let no one be deceived. This is the truth. Repentance must be evidenced, must be necessary. Let's continue on. I want us to look towards verse 15. It says this, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Point number six is this, Christians sacrifice their time. Christians sacrifice their time. It says making the best use of the time. For example, you've been at work all day, and you've been on your feet, you, come, you, you have a headache, and you're imagining home 
as this blissful place, right? I mean, you have this picture-perfect home that you come into. When you step in the door, it's completely different than that. 180 degrees different. You were planning on having some of my time to come and to sit down or to take a nap or whatever it is. And instead, the home is completely different than that. And you're immediately asked to start doing things and to help prepare this because the kids got to get ready for school or, you know, your spouse or even if you're individual. I mean, you walk into a situation sometimes at work and it's completely different. How do you respond to that? Your time or your sacrificing of your time and saying, I'll submit my time to others' time. Tough, tough things. Maybe you're a stay-at-home parent. And you give, 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 give all day long to children. And then you get some free time. Free time, right? And then how do you respond to that? Is this my time or when the kids get put down, is it my time? Well, God does say we need time. He gave us a Sabbath. But we need to make sure we're not taking this and saying my time selfishly. Because God's the one who even gave us time to begin with. And he asked us to give these things. What about retired? If you're retired, you've worked all your life and now you're stepping away and this is your time. Scripture says you should be always giving of your time to other people. What about volunteering in church? And this can be even one we justify like, man, I just love worship so much. Or I just love hearing the message. If you're unwilling to volunteer, like we have children's ministry, we have needs in nursery, we have needs in children's ministry encourage you to volunteer there, but I know that sometimes we can be not wanting to give up our time in worship and our time hearing the word or our time in fellowship. And really what we're saying is my time in worship is my time and it's more important to me than it is to serve, which is saying, God, my time of worship to you is more important than really serving you. And we do this all the time in different areas. Acts chapter 17, verse 25. Listen to what it says. God, it says, Nor is he, God, served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. So your next breath, it doesn't come from you. It says it comes from God. And he's the one who gives us these things. If you're married, husbands, You don't have any time anymore. It should be devoted to your wife. Wives, you don't have any time anymore. It's devoted to your husband. Parents, you're devoted to one another as spouses, but your time is now devoted to the raising up of your children in the Lord. How do we do these things? I mean, it sounds overwhelming, and we're going to get to that shortly. Our time has been given to glorify Time is money, right? We can say time is money. Why do we have a hard time giving of our stuff? And I'm right here. Some of you look like you're dreading hearing these things, okay? I'm right here with you. Why do I have a hard time loving others, listening well, not dominating conversations? Why do I have a hard time serving? Why do I have a hard time giving of my money? Well, because I love myself. That's why. It's not that I love money. It's that I love myself And I can use the money to please myself. That's the reason why we have a hard time giving. But God's commanded us. And I'm thankful that God has commanded me to tithe. To give a percentage of my income right off the top. Because I know I don't want to. And when I do, it breaks this cycle of sin in my life. It helps destroy it. And also helps bring it to light. 
you know, like the example of sleep. Another example would be, you know, earlier this week, we're cleaning out the baby's room and, you know, he's already moving up into, you know, size 87 diapers from zero just a couple of weeks ago. And so we're changing all these and we have some boxes of diapers. I mean, we have huge boxes, big boxes, medium size, smaller boxes. And my wife has a friend she went to high school with, recently married, and they're expecting their first child. And she's like, I want to give, I want to give this box away to them. And it's like the huge box of diapers, you know? And I'm like, why that box? Why not give, the, why not give that box or that box, you know, the, the smaller size? I don't love diapers. I just love myself. And the money I could use instead of buying diapers to use on myself. I mean, isn't that ridiculous? That's how, at least I am. I don't know if that's how you are, but that's, that's what I think. And so after I said it, after I'm preparing a message on loving others, I thought, just give the big box away, you know, like, just take it, take the diapers. And what's really sad, I hate to admit, I mean, they were given to us anyways. They were given to us, you know, and that's just how we are with things is I I love. And what I'm really saying at the end of the day is I love myself more than I love Amanda's friend. That's what I'm saying. I love myself more than I love this friend that's newly married expecting their first kid. Same reason whenever I don't feel like giving. The same reason, you know, when we don't feel like giving to the church, we're saying I love what I can do with this more than I love whatever it is. With our time, with our money, with our desires. Think of what, what the balance is. Selfishness to selflessness. Verse 17. Therefore do not be foolish. Understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. So, this was a struggle in their day. People were going out, fulfilling themselves with their own things. And it says, hey, don't go get drunk with these things. And in this particular passage, it's talking about alcohol. It's talking about strong drink. Don't get drunk with this. But instead, be filled with the Spirit. And why did it tell them to be filled with the Spirit? It's not even for them. We continue on. It says... Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. So it says, don't be filled up, and we can take it with, don't be filled up with your car. Don't be filled up with your stuff. Don't be filled up with your home. Don't be filled up with a substance. Don't be filled up with these things. Don't be filled up with your natural desires, but instead be filled with the Spirit. And it's not even for your purposes. A lot of times, and there's a lot of Christian denominations that are all about being filled with the Spirit. And they'll say, have you been born again with the Spirit? And it's all about you being filled with the Spirit. And what's happening there is it's all about them. Scripture says you should be filled with the Spirit, not for yourself, but for edifying others. So when people become focused on being filled with the Spirit, that's a selfish motive. Scripture says you're filled with it so that you can Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. This is one reason, just so you know, we have some ropes in the back. You notice the ropes, right? We're trying to encourage all of you to move forward. Because when you sing in worship, we like to hear one another. It's encouraging to hear people singing to God together. So that's why we're trying to move people together. is because we want to be singing together. Let's continue on. It says, be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another 
And then in verse 21, it says this, submitting to one another out of a reverence for Christ. How do we really put others first when they're selfish? Listen, if they were selfless, I'd have a much easier time, we could say to ourselves. You know, why, why do I need to put my spouse first? I thought they were called to put me first. I mean, we can get into that whole thing. Well, you're supposed to be putting me first too. Christ says we're not called to put them first and better in our life and to love them because they're better than us. All of us think we're the best. Okay, that's just just how we naturally are. I think I'm the best. I love me more than I love you. And God says, you submit to one another, not because of them, but because of me. He's speaking of himself. Submit to one another out of a reverence for Christ. Christ has already done this. When you understand that you offered nothing to God except rebelliousness and hostility, and the only thing you brought to him was your sin against him, That you always took your time for yourself. You always took your money for yourself. You always did the selfish thing. You always saved your own flesh rather than others' flesh. You always served yourself. That's the Christian message is we always did what pleased ourselves. But Jesus Christ came and what did he do? Matthew 20, 28. The Son of Man came not to be served but to serve. He came to do everything we were unwilling to do. And if there was ever a person who deserved to be served, if there was ever a person who deserved to be selfish, it was him. I mean, he had it all together. He never sinned once. He always had the right thoughts. And he decided that he was going to love God and be obedient to him and deny himself in every way possible and put others first. That's what should fuel you in your marriage. That's what should fuel you at your workplace. That's what should fuel you in the church, in your relationships, is what God has done for you in spite of what you never did for him. That's the message. And that should encourage us. I mean, that should break us down that God would be willing to do that. And this is what sums up in Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. If you're Christian, that means we are putting our desires, everything we are, and we're saying, I want this to be crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Jesus Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's what it means to be a follower of Christ, is we deny ourselves and we say, God, I'm willing to go from being selfish in everything I am, in my time, in my words, in my efforts, everything I am, to being selfless in these things, even in the small things. Example, I mean, a quick example, if you've been to our marriage class, Paul David Tripp talks about serving ice cream. You're in the kitchen, and you're like, I think I'm going to do a good thing. I'm going to ask my wife if I can make her some ice cream. So you get the bowl of ice cream, and you're scooping it out. You're thinking you're doing a good thing. And on the way to the couch, what am I doing? I am bigger after all, right? So I get the bigger amount. God says, listen, don't serve yourself. Serve others because I have given you everything in my son, Jesus Christ.
That's what grace is. That's what the gospel is. So I encourage you this morning, would you stand and we're going to end in a time of prayer. If you have any questions on what it means to be a follower of Christ or how to do that, we'd love to talk with you. If you're struggling with things, we'd love to talk with you about that. But let's go to the Lord in prayer and praise him and thank him for what he's done in our lives and what he's doing. Let's pray. God, we thank you for what you've done. God, we thank you that you have done everything that we could never do. God, we are so self-focused all the time. You call us to put away our selfishness and to lead lives of selflessness. But God, we know we can't do that. But we thank you that we can look to the example that you have already done that for us. And that's what should fuel us. That's what should give us passion for wanting to be imitators of you as beloved children because you have done everything we could ever ask of you've already accomplished for us. God, help us to love one another as you've called us to. Help us deny ourselves and the struggles that we face. God, help us when we do fall, when we do when we do sin against you blatantly or subconsciously, God, help us to repent of that and to turn to you and to run after you. God, we thank you that you cover all of these things. We pray for this week as we go about our different ways. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.